Well, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having given me the great honor and privilege of joining you this last, last couple of days. It's been a, uh, a wonderful time for me. And thank you also, Pastor, for your prayers for my wife as we carry on in this journey or on this journey that we are on. Not quite sure where that will end. I mean, the good news, as you already mentioned, is that um, we all know we're going to die at some stage. That's not a secret, right? At some stage, we will all die. Um, but when you have a, a diagnosis such as that, it's kind of it's jarring. It's right in your face. And uh, she may have many years to live. We know of ALS patients that live a long time. And we're praying for 20 years um, by, by faith. But uh, thank you so much. And um, also to um, Jeremy and Hannah. I don't know if where they are, but uh, oh, there they are. Thank you so much for uh, hosting me. It was a delight to be with you and get to know you and also little David. What a precious uh, boy he is. Um, at the book table, I do have just a couple of things. If you would like to uh, take them, please, please do. I will have to leave right after or very soon after we finish. I have to get home. Uh, tomorrow is a big moving day for us, long story. But anyway, uh, you'll excuse me soon thereafter. Um, but thank you so much, and uh, may the Lord continue to encourage you and bless you in all that uh, you are doing. Um, and thank you for your love and care and prayer for our missionaries. Uh, means an awful lot. The reading of scripture comes out of Ezekiel chapter uh, 22. Uh, Ezekiel, the uh, prophet, 6th century B.C., called to live amongst the exiles in Babylon. This is not um, a real upbeat passage. It's um, rather depressing and sad, and yet um, this is God's word, and uh, from it we would like to spend a few moments reflecting on what the Lord might have to say to us. And I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 23 through 31. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many windows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded the, uh, my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. 
Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. And let's go to the New Testament and read once again the passage from this morning, the sermon text, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And here we read, As he that is Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So here ends the reading of God's word. Let me go to the Father one more time. Uh, Father, we thank you for this evening, a time to gather once again um, around your word, and we pray that you would speak to us again uh, for your sake, for our edification. And we do pray for the one standing in the pulpit, forgive him as many sins, and anoint his lips. Father, for your sake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the entire conference, my three sermons were kind of under the general theme of this one verse that we read in John chapter 9, verse 4. While it is still day. While it is still day. It's a wonderful reminder and a challenge to the church that now we still have opportunity to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. But there will come a time. When Jesus comes back, his second advent, comes back as the reigning king, and to that time we do look forward. But that will be the end of missions. That will be the end of proclaiming the good news because his glory will be manifest throughout the world. So that's been the overriding theme. And we started off on Saturday morning by looking at the message of missions. What is the message. And it is, of course, none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us on the cross. And then this morning we looked at the mandate of missions, and that is that the church, we are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and we are called to continue the works of him who sent us. Now, once again, let me remind you that our task is not to do what Jesus alone can do, and that is redemption. No, but we are now called to declare that redemption that was accomplished by Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago. So the mandate of missions that we see really throughout the scriptures, it is God who is on a mission, and he is inviting us, the church, to participate in this great adventure. And then tonight I want to finish by focusing on the means of missions. 
What does God want to use to accomplish his great goal? And Pastor Dave already alluded to it early on as he was talking about the disciples that were empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry forth. And what an impact they made so soon after they had been empowered by the Spirit. And the same Spirit is still at work today. And he is still calling his church to be about his business. And once again, this reminder from verse 4, let us keep working the works of him who sent us for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of his Son. So let's focus in on the means of missions. And I want to start by telling you a quick story about my wife, Kay, who attended Wheaton College. And during the time when she was there, there was a group that was meeting for the sake of missions. They would pray for missionaries. They were very missions-minded, and they would gather weekly. And um, one time, the leader challenged them to walk around the campus and to pray for the various dormitories, the various places of residence, for the various places of learning, and for the students, that the Lord may raise up students from Wheaton to go into the world. And then one day, the leader said to those who were gathered, a small group, um, think of the one whom you think might be the least likely to become a missionary and uh, pray for them. Pray the Lord may select them and call them to go. Well, Devin, who was part of this mission group, was thinking who that might be, and she thought of Kay, my wife, and said, uh, Kay, um, she's good Christian, but I don't think that she would ever go to the mission field. And so she began to pray for Kay. Well, fast forward, we met in seminary. We had a calling to go to the mission field. We ended up in East Berlin serving there on a church planting team, working with MTW. And we in our team, when someone would have a difficult day, just tough, um, just not sure that we were doing the right thing or everything was kind of crushing down on us. And it became known as a KLM, KLM day. KLM is the Dutch airline. And when they had a bad day, they were just thinking about getting on the next KLM flight out of Berlin back to the States. See, that was, that was a bad day, a KLM day. And one day, Kay, my wife, had a difficult time and um, she was stomping up the stairs, and she was saying, this is all Devin's fault. This is all Devin's fault. Devin was the one that prayed for me to become a missionary, and here I am, and I'm not having a great day. So the Lord has a sense of humor, does he not, at times? And so he called Kay and myself to be involved in the work of missions. We want to take a look at this um, passage, and you might wonder what uh, this little red ribbon is all about. I'll, I'll get to that uh, in just a moment. But when we think of means or a method, 
A means is an action or a system by which a result is brought about. What are or what is the means of God for accomplishing his work? Well, it's the church. It's uh, you and me. It's a great quote by E.M. Bounds, who really wrote on prayer, but it can be applied to the work of ministry or missions. But he writes this, what the church needs today, and this was written probably 50 years ago, maybe even more, is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men and all women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men and women of his church. That is how God wants to accomplish this great mission of his to make Christ known, that at one day all nations will gather at the great throne. So God is looking for those who have been been touched by God's amazing grace, those who have been Jesus-impacted, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, faith-walking, Satan-battling, sin-conquering, love-embracing, ordinary believers in Jesus. In other words, you and me. And uh, world Christians, not worldly Christians, but world Christians, those who have a global perspective. You know, it's important that we engage where God has placed us locally, but we as the church should never neglect what God is doing Worldwide, And I'm so grateful for the ARP, and I'm so grateful for this church also in particular, that you continue to highlight the work of missions as it's going on. Now, when we think about the means of missions, we can ask the question, could God have done it differently than using fallen human beings, sinners, yes, saints, saved by grace, but still sinners and fallen and feeble often. Could God have used other means to make his name great, to carry on the mission? Yes, certainly. He could have created robots and just made them do it. They don't disobey. They just do whatever they're programmed for. Or he could have used angels, Michael or Gabriel. Can you imagine if God would send them to certain people In the experience of those who engage angels or who are visited upon by angels is what? Fear. So you send Gabriel or Michael and say, hey, you repent. And maybe many people would repent because they're scared of these angels. So he could have used angels. But no, for some reason, God chose men and women empowered by the Spirit to go into the world to make disciples. In this little passage, it's uh, not, not foreign to those who think through or read on missions. <clears throat> but there is this question that Ezekiel is throwing out. He is searching for someone. He's searching for someone to stand in the gap. 
Now, once again, as I've mentioned before, Ezekiel, 6th century B.C., prophet to the exiles in Babylon, and his message was not very positive. It was a message of God's impending judgment. But then also there was some hope for restoration for God's sake. But in this woeful little passage, he is crying out, um, is there someone who can stand in the breach or someone who can stand in the gap? When we think about that, we recognize that there was once someone before the life of Ezekiel who stood in the gap. There was one. And his name is Moses. If you want to turn right quickly to Psalm 106.23. Psalm 106.23. Psalm 106.23. And therefore he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach, stood in the gap before him, before God, to turn away his wrath from destroying him. And what this is making reference to is the story pretty well known in Exodus chapter 32. And what happened in Exodus chapter 2, you know the story well, Moses, Moses had gone up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And apparently he was gone longer than the people wanted him to be. And so they became impatient. Moses had turned leadership over to Aaron. And these impatient Israelites came to him and they said to him, we don't know where Moses is, create for us a God, maybe the one that we can touch and see and so forth. Why don't you um, make something for us? So Aaron did not hesitate apparently too much and he said, okay, then give me all your gold. And they gave him all their gold, and then the scripture says he put it or threw it into the furnace. This is rather humorous, because then the very next statement is, and out came this calf. That's what Aaron, that's how Aaron described it to Moses. I put all this gold in the furnace, and it just came up. A gold calf just kind of emerged. I'm thinking of those who think evolution is a good theory to explain how it all came to be. Yeah, this primordial soup right there, and bam, out of that, life just kind of comes, and a little more time, millions of years, and bam, there's an animal, and a little more time, and bam, there's an ape, and a little more time, and bam, there we are. We just kind of pop out. This was the situation in, his, in uh, Exodus chapter 32. And Moses, when he came back, he shuddered. And God was angry, rightfully so. And God right there was going to wipe out the nation of Israel. But there was Moses, and he stood in the gap. He stood in the breach. And we read that God relented. And now, several centuries hence, here's Ezekiel. Once again, the people of Israel are disobedient. 
And once again, the wrath of God is raised. And then the concern is, will he come down with wrath on the people of Israel and wipe them out? And Ezekiel then cries out, I'm looking for someone to stand in the breach, but I can't find anyone, and the judgment is coming. So we think about the gap today, and we realize that there are still millions of people, billions of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question that we need to ask and think about is, well, who will stand in the gap? Because the judgment of God is coming. That's been promised. It is coming. And as long as it is day, the church has the opportunity to stand in the gap, to make Jesus known. I want to think about this gap for a little bit um, further, a little bit longer. And I want to distinguish between two kinds of gaps. There's first of all the, what I would say, the vertical gap, maybe the theological gap or salvation gap. And that gap is insurmountable because that gap is between a righteous, holy, perfect God and a fallen humanity, a sinful humanity. And from down here, there is no way that we can make our way, that we can overcome the gap. There's no way. The closest river here, I think, is the New River. Is that correct? And I don't know how wide it is, um, at some stages, maybe 50 yards or 100 yards or 30 yards. You know, in some places, the Mississippi River is like a mile wide. But the New River is maybe 30, 50, maybe sometimes only 20 yards wide. So my question to you is, could you, without any help, without any aids, as a human being, could you go from one side to the other? In Greenville, we have Reedy River. And that's not real broad either, but I've challenged some young people, you know, can you jump over there? Maybe some young people could try, but I don't think even the world record holder in the long jump could come across. So there's no way to do it. And so we have the Liberty Bridge, it's the walking bridge in Greenville that crosses from one side to the other. And you have heard this illustration. See... We couldn't come up, but Jesus came down. And he overcame that bridge. He provided a way out so that you and I might have salvation. That's really good news. So that's this gap that we're aware of. And uh, it is really an eternal gap, and only one of eternity, namely Jesus Christ, could overcome that gap. And if we put our faith in Jesus, um, we have access to the Father. See, that's the good news. So that's that gap. Um, I'm imagining also another gap, maybe call it the horizontal or the missiological gap. And you view the church on one side of the gap, and then those who don't know Jesus on the other side of the gap. 
So there's this gap. Here's the church. And then here are those who don't know Jesus. And then who is called upon to stand in the gap, in the breach? Well, it's you and I, the church. But let's think some more about this missiological gap because we can distinguish... Well, first of all, let me, let me say this. In God's economy, the, the way that God looks at human beings, there's really only two kinds of people. Um, he does not distinguish in terms of gender. He's not distinguished in terms of wealth or ability. In God's economy, he looks at human beings in one of two ways. Either you are in the family of God, you are saved, or you are not. You are outside. You have either been adopted because you've taken advantage of the offer of Jesus Christ, or you're not. So you have two, from God's perspective, two kinds of people. And so here are the ones that know Jesus, here are the ones that don't know Jesus. But then there is, I believe, a differing wideness of the gap depending on the accessibility of the gospel. Because as we think about it, there are some people who are non-believers who are intentional about their disbelief. They have heard the gospel, they have access to the Bibles, to radio, TV, and whatnot, but they have intentionally refused to bow their knee, right? So you have those who are intentional, uh, refusing to accept the gift. But then you have some people that are unintentionally disbelievers or unbelievers. Why would they be unintentional? Because they have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know. And so the wideness of the gap depends on the accessibility of the gospel, of the Bible, of a Christian. And there are billions of people that have never heard. And for them, the missiological gap is really, really broad. It's very wide. Maybe for some of your friends here in the States, you may have some, the gap is really narrow because the gospel is accessible. They could go and find a Bible. They could go and check out a Christian book. They could turn on the TV and watch a, a, a Christian program. They could come to church. So, missiologically, it's pretty narrow. And so the challenge for the church, the question that Ezekiel asked back then that we would ask today is, who is willing to stand in the gap? in the breach, so that those who don't know Jesus would have the chance to respond to the free offer of the gospel. I hope that makes sense a little bit to think through the gap. And there's a difference there. Because some reject it, they've heard it, they reject it, but there are so many more that have never had the privilege of hearing it. And we, the church, are called to respond to both. And so we uh, come to the end here, and I, I just want to point this out with this little piece of red yarn that I put here, because I, I want this to um, help us remember three things. 
Number one, we, we want to remember God's gift of grace. And it's red because the blood of Jesus was red. He, he paid the penalty for our sins. And so, number one, we ought to remember, when we see this, God's gift of grace. Number two, we ought to, to remember God's glory and that he is on a mission to make disciples of all nations by using you and me. So, number one is to remember God's grace. Number two is to remember God's glory. And number three is to remember that God is calling us to be what I would call gap standers, to stand in the gap. So, in this way, Jesus came down and saved us. When we go this way, view yourself on this side. You have accepted the Lord Jesus. You are saved. You are in the family. But there's others over here that have not had that privilege. And we as a church need to be the gap standers. This represents the gap. But we have the great privilege and the honor to stand in the breach for the sake of the gospel. So if you want to stick that in your Bible too, think of that, that'd be great. And then finally, just very practically, when we think of becoming world Christians, aware of the world, just uh, three quick steps. We preached this morning on John chapter 9 about the healing of the blind man. And this blind man, for the first time in his life, was able to see when Jesus touched him. But he saw not just Jesus the man, he saw Jesus his Savior. And so, for us to be uh, world Christians, here's three, three thoughts. Number one, let's make sure that we see Jesus. See Jesus. See Jesus. Number one, as a crucified Lord, but also see him as the king, the reigning king who's coming back. So see Jesus. And number two, see the world the way that God sees the world. See the world how God sees the world. Let Jesus open your and my eyes to the needs of the world. So see Jesus see the world that God sees the world, and number number three, see ourselves as the gap standers. Let's see ourselves and challenge ourselves to stand in the gap, to stand in the breach for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the glory of God, and for the sake of those who have not yet heard. So see Jesus, see the world the way that God sees it, and then see, let's see ourselves, in other words, let's take responsibility in one way or another. And once again, I think, I'm sure your pastor has reminded us, not everyone is called to be sent out into the mission field. If you all left, Pastor Dave would have no one to preach to. We'll get <laughs> Yeah, okay, take them all. 
No, but we need those who send. Right? It's a partnership. Missionaries go, and they are our ambassadors, and more importantly, the ambassadors of Jesus. And they go to different parts of the world. But they can only go if there's a church that is supporting them in prayer and finances and love and care and so forth. And if all churches would do what you guys are doing in caring for missionaries, and what happened this weekend was wonderful. I'm going back having gained a bunch of pounds because the food was so good. So you love your missionaries, you take care of them, you support them, and that's what missionaries need. So it takes the effort of the entire church body to do what the Lord has called us to do. And so I want to close by just thanking you again. It's been a delight to be in your midst and to experience your worship and um, to see your heart. May the Lord continue to encourage you to carry on. Um, May the Lord continue to bless you, Pastor Dave, and uh, your elders. Um, Let's give thanks to the Lord as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for the time that you've given to us, the uh, richness of fellowship that we've been able to enjoy. Uh, Thank you that you have given us your word that guides us, that convicts us, that encourages us, that blesses us, that teaches us the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, would you continue to be at work in our hearts, in the heart of this church of Redeemer, in the the hearts of the ARP church, in the heart of the missionaries who are serving. We know that they're all human beings. They're all fallen. They have issues to deal with. Would you fortify their faith, strengthen their resolve, and would you use them, Father, for your sake as they stand in the gap? May all of us, Father, take responsibility for you have called us first to yourself and then back into this world. So we pray these things in Jesus' name.